I'm Dustin Zahn, and this is Trainwrecks. This episode deals heavily with Israel. Uh, In case you've been living under a rock or you're just American, Israel and Palestine have been going at it for half a century, if not longer. It's violence as shit, and um, like, let's say, the DJs who sink debate, doesn't seem like it's going away anytime soon. But because of this ongoing conflict, Israel, specifically Tel Aviv, may not seem like a party city, especially if you're getting your news from biased media outlets on the internet or TV or print. Uh, However, I got to say, it's a gem in the desert, and it's going to greatly surpass your expectations if you ever get a chance to go there. Uh, It's a little spot in the desert, and it kind of confuses a lot of Westerners or Americans because... Especially in America, the desert to them is basically Burning Man and where Walter White cooks his meth. And when you start talking about other deserts, they just say, camels somewhere over there. The thing is, Tel Aviv is positioned right next to the sea, yet it has this desert climate, which gives the city this sort of unique vibe in multiple ways that you would kind of expect from other beachside towns. And uh, that's kind of what makes it so damn awesome. Tel Aviv kicks ass. I've been there a couple times now, and I loved it each time. The people are friendly and warm. The food's great. The parties are amazing. And while it's not solely because of him, part of the reason I've been there is because of this week's guest. His name is Yotam Avni, and he's a cool fucking dude. His career kind of skyrocketed in the past year. Um, He had a handful of hits on labels like Intervisions, Obum, Stroboscopic Artifacts, and my own label, Enemy. His tracks have this groovy and hypnotic sound that kind of ride the line tastefully between house and techno, and his DJing is pretty similar in that regard, which also happens to be my thing, so it makes sense that our tastes align so closely. In fact, he invited me back to play his birthday party a couple years ago where we each did our thing for a couple hours and then we went on to tag for five or six, I believe. I don't quite remember. Thing is, I think I recorded it, so it might be on a hard drive somewhere. Anyway, uh, on top of being an incredible producer, he's also a really solid DJ and you'll get to hear more from him in the next year or two, I'm sure. Um, on top of getting along with him really well and enjoying his kind of sarcastic, uh, dark sense of humor and whatnot, I've been looking forward to having Yotam on the show for a while now. Uh, I actually wanted to get him and, and basically his little whole crew of, uh, fellow Israelis on the show just to kind of explain what's going on over there because, of course, you hear about, Berlin and Bergheim and Paris and New York and all this shit all the time on this show and other media outlets, but you don't hear too much about Israel, so I think it's really interesting. And uh, I'm just glad that we could get him on, though, and explain what makes him tick, uh, tell us about Israel a bit, and uh, I needed to figure out why the hell he thinks Kanye West is so great. Anyway, I'm not going to go on any further. Enjoy the show. All right, man. Thanks for coming on the show. My it's been, great pleasure, Dustin. It's been a uh, a long time coming, right? Were Were we talking about it before the show even started, or did I already start the show after we talked about you coming on? 
I think I was the one applying that I really want to do this show. I remember when, when was it that this show started? Uh, we're going, we just started the second year. The second year already? Yeah. I remember like in the... Well, we're in, uh, you know, it's, it's been around for a year. For a year now? A year and a couple months, yeah. Okay, that makes sense. So roughly about then, I guess. Yeah, I remember writing to you like as soon as you started this thing. I was like, you know, I'm a huge geeky guy. I mean, I love the Ara Exchange series and all of that. I always love to listen. First of all, in general, I love to listen to talk at uh, radio. Also in Israel, in Hebrew, and in English, like, what the fuck podcast here on... Yeah, uh, totally, planes. Mark Marin. Uh, but, you know, just before we put the headphones on, you were saying that uh, you've had actually quite a bit of time on the microphone. Uh, yeah. Partially because you're, you're also a journalist over in Tel Aviv. Are you still doing that or not as much? No, not at all. But uh, actually, that was like my real childhood dream before, become, before wanting to become Tiesto or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. I... I got into this culture, like I knew the music, I knew like I'm 29, so for me like already in kindergarten you can watch like Snap Rhythm is a Dancer on MTV or whatever, to me mm-hmm. it, like electronic music came as, uh, as something that already exists and when I first got into the real depth of this culture was by through magazines like Hebrew ones, local Israeli ones. And of course, DJ Mag and Jokey Slot, if you know, mm-hmm. it's a great magazine. I was like 12 or 13 years old that I saw DJ Mag or Mix Mag, I remember. And I was like, fuck, this is what I want to do. Like the way they write about it, the way they have this huge vocabulary to describe those weird sounds. And there's like connections to different genres of music in, in history in the past and whatever. And I was like, fuck, this is what I want to do because I was always into writing. So for a while in my teenage years, like I was aiming... towards a real career in uh, as a music journalist as I grew up and I got to have my own columns and I edit uh, a few culture magazines online and whatever I realized that uh, the future is not really there and uh, besides that the music thing started so eventually I'm doing this now the DJ thing but yeah it's really important like let's say that I have sorry all good <laughs> I have more of Uh, music magazines in my collection than records still to this day like I have wow. a huge you still collection. have them yeah yeah I collect them I actually had quite a few magazines saved as well um, but I lost them in a flood um, at a flood well it's not do you have basements in Tel Aviv yeah of course we do we have well those. I mean there's a lot of places I don't have basements yeah I know about Tel Aviv obviously yes. okay um, that's true that's right because the worst <laughs> sorry but uh We have them for storing shit, not necessarily for hiding yeah. uh but i can I can say that like I lived on a on a mountain for skiing and stuff, and I was towards the bottom of the mountain or like halfway down, so of course the water only travels down, and we had a really bad flood, and I lost oh, a wow. bunch of shit and some records and uh gear and whatnot but i mean this was I was maybe eight seventeen eighteen at the time, so i I didn't lose so much I didn't have You know when you're young you don't yeah, have yeah. that much anyway so I'm trying to think of a few like uh, like every I mean I remember there was this uh, rave magazine I think in Florida I forgot its name which was pretty big like I don't know much of like the US magazine well in the US um, I would say probably at, at one point the biggest was herb uh, you are right. 
And then you have Accelerator, which was uh, quite big for a while. But it wasn't covering just electronic music culture, or was it? Um, well, it, they both more or less kind of started that way, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. or at least when I was reading they were. And then I thought Herb disappeared, but it turned out they wanted to start covering hip-hop or something. Yeah, yeah. I think they did it badly. Accelerator, I thought, disappeared for a while, but now, of course, they have the website, mm-hmm. and they still kind of have a good focus on the electronic community. Um, and then there's a bunch of magazines that really kind of came and went and didn't really make it, so to speak. Uh, I mean, like, MixMag was around, but we didn't have a U.S. version, so yeah. you'd have to get, like, the... six or seven dollar import which back then was a lot for a magazine um and then in the midwest for example we had massive massive was, yeah i think that's the one I, I oh that's know. that's from uh from wisconsin where i'm from seriously yeah and that's where they'll have like you know hardcore djs doing you know porn reviews and yeah, yeah, uh yeah, yeah. interviews with like let's say carl cox and like just crazy yeah. random shit yeah, that yeah. um i don't know if they've digitized the whole collection yet but i know there's always been talk about it and those are kind of a crazy trip down memory lane they're worth checking out if if you're listening and you haven't yeah. you haven't seen the magazine or you haven't read it in a while i bought it from I'm, i bought the uh, in ebay every now once in a while i like search for like dance music magazines whatever and this one time i bought a few of those and funny enough now i just thought about it and i realized that we had like a totally similar hebrew Uh, version of it like really? the same idea like the crazy the porn stuff like uh, so maybe wow. it's like uh, the way we all pursued this new culture and music back then well i mean i the thing is is um you know massive kind of was on a similar ilk of like the the drop bass network in the sense that like it was like kind of like crazy rock and rollers and punk rock kids and just People that were not your typical ravers in the sense of like let's go yeah. listen to Danny Tanegli or something they were kind of more mental uh like spin magazine was also in the states they did an article on raves and it kind of included dormouse and these guys that were like uh you know I forget what it is djs that throw meat or some shit and it's talking about stories where dormouse would run around in a diaper and throw raw meat at people and Lots of crazy shit like that I don't know if that was what was going on in Tel Aviv but you know uh <laughs> not exactly. <laughs> Anyway, um, see, so there's actually a lot to you. Like, first of all, you're from Tel Aviv, and for a lot of people, especially um, in, you know, coming from the United States and stuff like that, it's not the first place you would expect to have a great techno scene or producers. And actually, it has both. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, first of all, I think, I, I hope and I think that... In the last few years, I think Tel Aviv is like starting to send some signals and I see more and more people that like meet me for the first time and they hear that I promote parties in Tel Aviv or whatever. They already like give me a look of like, hey, whoa, I heard great things or whatever. Not, not just for techno music, I mean, in general, for all, all of the different subgenres that we have. And it wasn't always like that, like we had a dark period, you know, because of wars and stuff, like beginning of millennium, there was a few years like we had... suicide bombings in the streets so the whole club scene was really uh, going down um, but yeah I mean first of all when you, you the, one of the reasons that you don't hear much about it or don't know uh, about the Israeli scene it's because I mean first of all we are so far from both like Europe and the states in the Middle East and it's super tiny country we're talking about like seven eight million citizens that's yeah and the whole country geographically I 
I think it's not more than an hour, right, to get across yeah. it? And no, it's a bit or is more, it more. But you can, like, in a day, you can do all the borders down south, Crazy. like from Egypt to to Lebanon. You know, you can do it in like five, six hours or something. And so yeah. And the one thing that people do know about Tel Aviv or Israel, if they know a bit more about electronic music, is the Psytrance scene. Yeah, that's what I heard. That it's pretty big there. It's not only big. Like some would say that we. Um, I th- you know it's it's a big debate in Israeli like uh, uh, culture history regarding this Psytrance uh, music, but there, there's a there's a good argument that uh, we actually invented that in a way this genre. Really? Yeah, we dominated like eighty percent of the all of the producers and labels of Psytrance. It's Israelis, like it's crazy. It's a huge mm. industry. Also in, in Israel, it's big. Even bigger than like let's say Goa, for example. Um, it changed. I don't think that Goa exists like in the last 10 years. Like it, it evolved from yeah. that. And the Goa trance scene is uh, highly connected to uh, Israelis because Israelis are, after they are finishing their army service, like every one of us has mm-hmm. to go to army for three years, usually what they do is they, they go to Goa, India. It's like it's full of Israelis since early 90s really? till this day. Yeah. If you ask like... Uh, Indian guy, how many people you think live in Israel? He would say million, uh, milliards or whatever. Like, I didn't notice that. Like I was just there in December. I was I was only there for a couple really? days. Really? Yeah. Wow. And yeah, um, it was fucking rad, man. Uh, you, you definitely, it's up your alley, you know, just because yeah. we've we've hung out, we've played records together, we, we share similar yeah, tastes, yeah. and it'd be your vibe for sure. Because actually, what what a lot of people don't realize is the Psytrance scene is still there, but. Um, Techno has really taken over in the last couple of years. Really, I mean, there. it's it's massive there now. Yeah, actually, um, Steve told me that. Steve Rahman told me that he's playing there a lot more than ever. And I mean, in general, if they like, if if they like the the classic goaish trance, I mean, what we do in techno nowadays is really nurturing from that at this point. I think. Yeah, well, you know, there, uh, in my hometown, there was this drum and bass guy that always used to give the techno guys shit. Like, because especially in the rave days, like everybody, there was everybody sticks to their own genre now. But everywhere we talk shit more about genres. He's like, "You fucking techno kids, you're all the same. You're only one arpeggiator away from psytrance." And it was hilarious. Oh, it's wrong, but I mean, it, it's not so far off. <laughs> you know, that's that's an interesting argument. I mean, uh, no, the European techno it means. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, I mean. For sure, and and right now the 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 trend is kind of this very trancy techno, for better or worse. Yeah. But uh, I wonder if it would like escalate. I mean, are we at the tipping point of it, or it's like more to come? I How think people are already kind of getting tired of it, but that's just me. I I, I don't I mean, know if both you and I are part of that. Really, I mean, in in enemy, I think you do release some stuff that like I don't know. I would say it's uh, melodic and emotional, but not so much translating. It's arguable. From melodic and emotional to trance, that's like really close distance, I think. Yeah, it depends how many keys you hit on the keyboard. That's true. But I mean, so, um, you know, usually in the beginning of the show, I I get into the background of people and I guess we're already going right into that. Like, so did you kind of start off in the Psytrance scene then or? Um, No, the thing is like Psytrance is like super... I wouldn't say like it's it's commercial, but it's like well accepted. It's part of like the Israeli. How do you say? It's more commercial, rather. 
It's, no, of course, it's, it's more than commotion. I'm saying it's like, uh, it's a typical, it's like part of Israeli folklore. Ever okay. since it is, like in weddings, in like a... Oh, really? Israeli, so it's, it's at the that end of like hardcore. every Israeli wedding, they're playing like, I don't know, infected mushroom, if you no know. No shit. <laughs> that's right. They're super that's big. Ridiculous. They're su- we're talking about like daytime radio, heavy playlists. There's material, like a lot of it. It's like part of Israeli culture. There's a religious side trance. Wow. For, like, and stuff like that. So... For me, like when I grew up, like trances was like like this like almost pop music yeah. where where I'm from. So I was like, yeah, I kind of like the alienish sound of it, but I don't like the you know those uh, harmonics. There's and, a lot uh, to dislike, but yeah. I mean, so for me, it wasn't it wasn't a starting point. It was um, it was like yeah, I like that, but for some reason, those things that I hear on weekends on late night radio, pirate radio, like Sasha and Digwood, I was like, wow, that's almost what I like. And then I discovered like uh, Detroit techno and Soulful House and whatever. It's it connected for me because one thing that I really need to mention about myself specifically is that I come from a family that are really into jazz. Like my father was a drummer. So like I grew up on lots of like sunrise and weird stuff and lots of percussion music. So mm-hmm. I, it's funny enough, I just thought about it recently that I remember myself as a young uh, kid liking Psytrance and thinking, wow, wouldn't it be great if I could like do this type of music with those machines, but play like bluesy harmonic, harmonic stuff. Then I discovered Detroit Techno, whatever. I was like, fuck, this is it. Like, this is how you do it. Yeah. I mean, it's, to be a proper jazz musician is, it's fucking insane. I yeah. mean, to be a proper musician, period, takes a lot of work. But jazz, especially once That's you get different. into like free form and stuff, it's, it's, you got to think outside the box a bit more for that. And I really, I mean, it, I don't believe it. I know it. Like house and techno and stuff like that really gives you the ability to kind of, get into that world a little bit easier or at least use that influence you know um yeah i mean the main thing that i got from that in the sense not just liking the music but to get my father perspective about it is more towards like really knowing the abilities of your instrument like if you're a drummer or just drummer or pianist or whatever like you really know your craft in terms of techniques totally and, uh, it's so there's that. I mean that, that, and that especially reigns true to this day too. Whether you're using a drum machine or Ableton with VSTs, I mean, whatever it is, um, it's all about maximizing it, you know. Yeah. But part uh, of that is, but electronic music is also very punkish, like we said. So like also abusing your drum machine or whatever. That's yeah, totally. Also fair enough. You, you don't have to use it in traditional means, but I you don't. One of the last times, I think, either when I was in Tel Aviv or we were hanging out, you said that you kind of found house before you found techno, right? Or is that incorrect? Uh, no, I started, when I started uh, DJing, I started by playing like Soulful House. Mm-hmm. I mean, the first... Joe Classel and all those kind yeah, of things. Yeah, still to this day, like Joe is in my top, forever in my top five or favorite DJs of all time and and yeah for a few years I was I was playing that in Tel Aviv with not uh, aiming for anything beyond that and even produced a few like my first releases as a producer under my own name still to this day if you look up at Discogs you find some weird gospely housey stuff which you wouldn't expect from a Jewish boy from Tel Aviv to produce but that's what I did when I was like 19 or like 10 years ago 
Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's funny because, I mean, you had stuff coming out. I think one of the first times we actually spoke, I think it was even before I came to Tel Aviv, was that because I wrote you about the This Is How track, maybe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, I mean, since then, and then since you, we talk about you coming on the show, a lot of shit's happened in the last year, year and a half. That's true. I mean, um, I wrote a few things down here. You got a, a big track on Intervisions. This is how on Ovum, uh, what is it, Pentimento? Yeah. On Rebirth, um, Orma on Stroboscopic, and of course, Yeezyanity yeah. on Enemy. Uh, but I mean, like... <laughs> All those except for the for the enemy record, big hits. Yeah. You know? um, no, the enemy record. Uh, uh, it's cool. It's it's a sleeper thing. It's a yeah. You got to know what's up. You got to. It's That's for the true. end of the night. That's true for that track. But I mean, those are all tracks that not only you know if you go to like your Beatport thing, you'll see it in your t- top ten or whatever. But like those were huge tracks for everybody. They were getting played everywhere. Yeah. And it it's it kind of exploded. Um, and I don't know some of it you were sitting on for a while, but uh, I think that's but like a lot of people are uh, like my friends or whatever. I tell everyone like in 2016, by the end of 2015, I I had like a bunch of tracks that I knew that I'm going to schedule a way to release them all like during a period of 12 months. And knowing that this is what I want to do, like this year I'm going to bomb. Like I had the weapons in my head. I totally planned it this way. And to my surprise, it really worked the way I wanted. So That's awesome. Great, yeah. I mean, a lot of people listen to this show that, uh, I mean, ones that are established too, but ones that just hope to have something decent out someday or, or working. Uh, would you, I mean, it's, I would say that you did the right thing in kind of really not just trying to get one record out that's a big record, but you were like, I'm going to kind of bottleneck it until you just have this stream of great shit coming out regularly. Yeah. Is that Would you agree that that's kind of the right way to go? or uh, Specifically, the way, I mean, under one name as an artist, which is my birth name, I'm doing like both houseier stuff and more I mean if you if you again look at the labels that I released and I don't totally. think many producers are doing all those labels. I mean Innovations, Toposophic Artifacts, we rebirth like a Joe Cell remix and then like a huge hit at Ben Clock Champions or whatever. And that's the reason like this year I wanted to to prove to the to the agency to 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 the scene itself like it's about time that people want like new producers or DJs shouldn't be labeled as just one thing. I hear you. I mean that's that's kind of why um, I think we got along so well from the beginning because we both have a similar idea that it's like yeah. you can't just bang it out the whole time or you can't just uh, play housey stuff. I mean. Same thing on other albums, whether it's hip hop or rock or something. You can't if it's just a whole album of the same song, it's gonna suck. So you need to have like your moments that are a little bit more intimate and your moments that are kind of, I don't know, for worse wording, uh, like party rockers. You yeah. know what I mean? I mean, yeah, it, it's it's that's one way to see it. I see it like uh, more. I think it has to do with the fact that we were both, I guess, were into DJs for a period of time that there was no that many sub genres and sub scenes and 
and the market was not flooded with producers and artists and DJs. I mean, this day it's hard to, to get a name for yourself, to get gigs. I mean, the market is flooded. So to, I mean, those who are part of like aiming to be a part of a crew of a label that does their showcases and, and that's that. I mean, that's great. And some, some of those producers are making great careers out of that. But me, I want to, I don't know. I mean, I, I remember, I think I told you that, that I was waiting for the darkish Belgian sound to fade away a bit for a chance to mm-hmm. something different to come out. And uh, that's the time, I think. That a lot of, I mean, see, a lot of produ- like techno producers are aiming for different labels, like life and death thing is going towards mm-hmm. techno. I don't know. It's interesting because on one hand, I, I really feel like uh, the darker side of techno, it's, it's been pretty popular for a while now. So I am beginning to think like, okay, maybe that bubble has kind of popped in a way. But at the same time, with how fucked up things are in the world, politically and socially, usually on under times where it's a little dark, the music ends up becoming a little bit darker too. So maybe subconsciously. And I, so I don't know if, if, if the darker side of it's going to go away anytime soon, would you disagree? No, I, not, nothing will go away and will not go disappear, away, disappear, but, but, but just, but from, from the main, I don't know, main dish of what people want to, to be served. I don't know. I mean, I think you and I both are not DJs who even in the, the most darker period, like do you play that dark industrial techno? I mean, I think you I don't really play industrial it, stuff. Um, I mean, maybe when I was definitely when I was in the late teens and early twenties, but now it's. Um, I mean, there's times where people would argue I'm definitely playing too hard, uh, but it's not like uh, serial killer techno or anything yeah. like that. Like some of these guys, and then you know you you check out the other tracks on the album that aren't the dance floor tracks, and it's like this ruthless kick drums and saws sounds kind of thing, and I'm just like, fuck, man, I can never listen to that at home. Um, yeah. not that I can't appreciate it, but I'm not going to listen to it. I, that's just me though, personally. Yeah. yeah. And you're, you're, you're a American techno DJ who plays like swinger stuff. You have like a groove related thing to it, I think. No, but I, I would argue that, uh, that's kind of an American trait in general. I was, I was actually thinking about this the other day and you, you're, you're a music nerd. So what's your, what's your thought on this? Maybe it's not as apparent anymore, but I think definitely for the longest time up until somewhat recently american djs definitely had a different approach or flavor to this than let's say european djs just for the sake of conversation it depends on the genre and depends on the time like in the 90s like the 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 industry was like half european djs half americans but and then like early 2000 european like totally took over and Americans stayed only in the left field sides of Soulful House, Disco-ish, whatever. And now, uh, I mean, you know what? Maybe because of Berlin that a lot of you guys moved in, like the whole uh, droid crew and all of that became like super big in Europe. Like I know that in Israel, we, we didn't know much about droid. And you're not a, a famous, that famous name. In, and you know what? Drum code in general is not that big in Israel as... Uh, yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, it's always a different perspective. Like, for example, in Italy, it's massive. Yeah, Israel, not so much. You know, I mean, every, every country has different uh, popularity levels, you know? Yeah. No, I just wonder if there's, there's a, a reason for it. What could be a reason? But I don't know. 
Well, I mean, realistically, it comes down to where your records are being sold, how much PR you're pushing to that particular country. And honestly, sometimes it comes down to getting the right gig on a circuit. Like, for example, I didn't play in Italy. I I, I played in Italy for, I don't know, quite a while when I was younger. And then for some reason, my Italian gigs just dropped off for, for ages. And then I went back to Italy after... I want to say three or four years of not playing at all. And then I did 34 in one year. So it really comes down to like, if, if people see that, Oh shit moment, yeah, then, you know, then you're in. And it's kind of the same way in the States. Like if, if yo Tom, if you come to the States this year and let's say you do New York, LA, Chicago, whatever, like four or five cities. And for the most part, you kill it on those cities. You're, more or less guaranteed to come back every year. Yeah, of as course. long as you keep it together. But you, you know? think that's the only reason why you, you you became that big in the Italian market? It's funny enough that you said it. Well, I'm no. I mean, there's a variety of things. Like, of course, uh, I've been on Drum Code and I've I've been with it since the since it really ascended to this crazy fucking thing that it is now. Yeah. But I mean, uh, you know, there's plenty of DJs out there or producers who make awesome music and then they're they're really not great djs you book club events so i know you've you've seen these the people majority play. is is that unfortunately yeah and i mean honestly i'm not i'm not the greatest dj i'm not really i'm i think i'm more viewed as a producer than a dj but i can do good enough to get return you know come back to play gigs later and mm-hmm. um yeah so i mean there's a lot of factors that come into a DJ and like where they do well and like not even in a country, but in a city, like let's say you drive two hours to the nearest city and you play there three times a year. That's because you did something right or they're downloading your podcast or you're buying your records or whatever. Are you one of those like who check like Google alerts or where you pop like statistics of SoundCloud regarding where specifically in the world you're most played at or whatever from... Well, years and let's say I, it's probably 10 years ago now that I think that shit mattered. Like you could check that Google stuff. Now it doesn't because I've Googled my name probably once in the last two or three years. And it's all like the top links are going to be Facebook, SoundCloud. I don't think MySpace is relevant anymore, but that's yeah. the last time I Googled my name. Point being, all these big companies, they pay a lot of money to have their domain names push the top no, of, the of course search. i know you have to search so, right That's yeah and i just on. i can't i can't do that shit and then if you search too well you end up on this message board where they're just shit talking you non-stop yeah. so it's just like you know what i'm done i don't even like after i like i played in uh where did i play this weekend italy <laughs> so i was i was in italy and uh i'm not even gonna look to see what they said because well, first of all, I don't speak Italian. There's translation software. But uh, I don't want to know if, if I was terrible or if I was great. I'm just going to assume that I was amazing, right? You know? <laughs> then life is good. <laughs> Usually, but you know. You don't need to, to, like, you know when you played, when you did well. You know what? Not even play. Sometimes you play a shitty set, but you see the crowd going wild for it. That's nice. Sometimes you play amazing yeah. set, the crowd is not into it, but you, you see those guys and you felt like that you, you, you played a great set and you know there's a few music heads who totally got it. Totally. But I mean, I'm, I'm also one of those guys that's a little hard on myself. And there's times where I thought like, oh man, I, 
yeah. I really didn't nail that set this weekend. Yeah, yeah, we Everybody all, else thinks like we, that was we, crazy. Yeah, yeah, we would all say that. And then, and then the opposite. You thought you did a great job, and people were just like, "Yeah, maybe not this time." <laughs> yeah, that that didn't happen to me. Yet. I'm more. I don't know. But let, let's let's get into you as a DJ. Um, you've been DJing for a while. We skipped over so much. I mean, I think we got to talk more about. Israel in general, because no, we never really get to hear about that. We will. What I want to know about right now is your DJ sets. You have done. Uh, you're basically the opening DJ for most of the techno guys that come through. There's other and things closing, going on and closing. and closing. So you're there all night. So not only have you kind of refined your technique based on that, but you've seen pretty much the who's who of house and techno come through. Yeah. Um, you know what? That's like the real issue for me right now at the moment. I've been like a local supporting DJs for many years for too many different styles. Like mm-hmm. even in the last few years when I'm mainly known for being like a techno DJ, quote unquote, I was still like opening up for it. If Joe Classel comes, I played like, you know, my house here side or whatever. Still to this day, like I'm supporting lots of house DJs. I play everything. I still need and want to 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 know like what's up with the new houseier stuff, even the soulfulish stuff or whatever. And as a producer, again, like I'm, I don't know how people label me. Like I had this like Ovum hit, and then Inner Visions, and then like Lucy's label, which is experimental. But I'm still doing tracks there. They're they're not that dark or dark, not that experimental. And nowadays, I got into to, to the agency and I'm touring now and for the first time in my life I'm not like a supporting DJ I'm a headliner or whatever and I am able to play whatever I really want and it has to be something that I guess represents what I'm producing because mm-hmm. that's the reason I'm getting booked and I'm having really hard time to to figure out what is it that I really want to say, quote-unquote, as a DJ now that I'm, like, you know, focusing myself to the international market. It's crazy. It's weird. It's a different mindset, isn't it? It's a totally different mindset. I mean, I've had that too, you know, and especially uh, because I also have a a big range of what I can play, and it really depends. Like, some nights I'll show up and I'll just kind of hammer it out, play some dark, brooding shit. In other nights, it'll be quite funky. Um, I had a promoter write my agent recently, and they're like, can you make sure that he, he plays a little harder? Because that's what we prefer. And some wow. people would be offended, but honestly, I'm just like, okay, at least I know going in yeah, what they expect from me. Um, you know, whereas there's some venues I play at that, like, I know, okay, this is pretty much going to be almost a completely house set and then there's plenty yeah, of yeah, venues yeah. i know where you like you look at the lineup you're like we're fucking going in it's like heads down yeah yeah purest I, techno totally. you know yeah yeah by promoter by the club you know what every club every promoter has a sense of like what flavor they they want so yeah i i play like i have fabric next month and then a night with scuba in barcelona so i know it will be like maybe different sets then a trezor set then whatever so yeah but um, I'm thinking maybe to start doing like my own series of podcasts or whatever, like to to flood the world with more like uh, DJ sets of mine, to make make them know what I'm playing and to to have my, to myself a platform to realize what is it exactly. Like the main my dream like is to be somehow of like Laurent Garnier or Derek May or DJ Deep that I can can play like a long 
long set that goes from like disco track to, to rough techno to whatever that totally. would be the dream I guess I mean you and know, you can't pull it off in a two hour set no it, it takes time but I mean I've, I've seen you play I don't know not a handful of times but a few times now we've done a back to back thing before mm-hmm. um, and I mean you definitely have the ability and the skill to do it so that's not something that you gotta worry about it's more about making sure you find the right promoters that know this is what you're after. And that's a yeah. really hard part because I, over the years, I'm still having that trouble. Like I show up to some venues and they're really surprised if I was to play a track that let's say is, um, you know, let even just more on the housey side of things. Yeah. You know what I mean? And uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm guessing you're the same way, but my favorite sets are the ones where I feel like I can play anything. And that doesn't mean I'm going to play anything, but you just know like it doesn't matter. Like yeah. Maybe the next track's going to be a Lucy track. Maybe the next track's going to be Kyle Craig. Who knows? But you know that they're locked in either way. That, yeah. And it's really hard to find the gigs that have that kind of vision because these days everything's very specialized right whether it's like you're going to be a hip-hop guy or you're going to be a coffee snob or like you're a sneakers dude or like everybody's so specialized totally totally yeah so it's insane stuff but because you you've done this so much over the years what would you say like are some of your favorite sets or djs that you've seen come through tel aviv over the last few years hmm um like personal favorites or like i guess uh, i mean the thing is is like i realized asking you to say something off the top of your head you really got to think about it but is there <sighs> some like every time you're just like all right uh this guy's awesome or i can't wait for him to come back or you know there's uh there's a lot of them first of all um Well, I'm, it's like I don't know. There, this it's it would be a shame to not to mention others, you know. To, but, Fair enough. Uh, no, but but I'll tell you this. I I wanted to to say this for a while. A lot of people don't know that Psych Manuel is really a kick ass DJ. I had him. The thing is with him in Avadon, the parties like that that I had you yeah. there also. There's a few a few names like Lucy's one of them, I guess Psych and, and maybe shifted were the ones that we booked the most, but also started booking early on, like from their first or second like big hit or whatever, before they really blew up. We had them like a year after year, and we saw them grow both as artists, DJs and egomaniacs and whatever. Mm-hmm. And with Psych, like I will never forget the first time that we had him. It came with like uh because it was during like the most most dark bergainish moment of like that was like the that was the thing that was the thing the reverb kick drum that was the thing, and here comes this like Spanish kid who grew up on like Oscar Morello mixes and whatever came like with external effects unit and did like the most swingy kind of and you know scratching and like the whole it was it was he really good put on a show, yeah, yeah. And he, put, he played, like, the techno the way I grew up liking, you know, like Dave Clark style, the whole physical thing. Like, I didn't mm-hmm. see that much. And with Lucy, she did all the rest that are part of that movement. So, 
Psych will always have this special place in my heart because it keeps it old school and, and great. So from the top of my head, I, I always mention Psych. I don't know. Sure. So, okay, so omitting names, let's say, like, is there something right now where you feel like there's a certain vibe in, in Tel Aviv that's going off, like, you know, like a you could book a certain type of DJs or a crew that, like, you know is going to be a surefire draw. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, we already mentioned like the transier background of Israel. So DJs who play more hypnotic and more melodic, it's easier to market in Israel. And so that there's that for sure. And, but other than that, think of like Middle Eastern country. I don't know. Think like Italy. I think we're close to Italy. Without the like, Italy had the the whole Italo disco thing. Mm-hmm. We have side trends as roots, so fair enough. <laughs> but the weather is similar, and the vibe of the people is similar. And you both have kick fucking ass food. Yeah, yeah, that's I mean, true. That's true. Some of the food I've had in Tel Aviv is some of the best I've had. Period. And you, it's you, insane. You haven't like touched the tipping of. I know. I so gotta get back places, there. I gotta spend some man. time. Yeah, yeah. I still you. haven't been to the Dead Sea either. Right. I always promise you, but you always come like for for one day. Well, yeah. You have to come earlier than that. Like most of the guests exactly. that I had more than one time, I asked him to come a few days before, and we we do that. It it's just amazing. wasn't possible due to the holidays. But it's yeah. happening next time for sure. Um, but I mean, so, and we we were talking also before we turned the mics on just about Tel Aviv in general, uh, you were saying that it's like one of the most expensive cities in the world too. Yeah. It was rated by Time Magazine or New Yorker as like in the top 20 of the most expensive cities in, in terms of, of, uh, living food cost and uh, rent and all of that. Yeah. Wow. I, I, I mean, I guess when you're flipping the bill, I didn't have to worry about it so much, but I, I tried to kind of get a grasp of what it's like there and it, it doesn't feel like it and it no you know because it's kind of a, a dirtier town and whatnot yeah. and like you, you don't get that I kind of posh vibe from it whenever someone mentions like the the dirty thing about tel aviv i remember dave clark when we had dave clark he came was walking he was like i don't remember like he was there in in the 90s or whatever and he was like was this always that dirty? It looks like India in here. And I was like, fuck, you're so right. Like, yeah, Tel Aviv is like, it's not dirty in a sense of, you know, but it's gritty and like the old apartments, building, touring apart from, from sunburn, whatever. Yeah, and it's and expensive because Tel Aviv is like, uh, has trouble with the... With uh, building new apartments. We have a shitty mayor for a while now. And it's it's got to be really, really expensive. So most of my friends are living here in Berlin, which makes sense. Yeah. Well, so here's the deal. And especially, I mean, I growing up in America, you, you, there's the whole political issue between Palestine and Israel and all that. And Yeah, I heard something about that. Yeah, I don't really know what the issue is, but there's something about that going on in the background now. No, but uh, anyway... Um, what like what could you tell people that haven't been to Israel or maybe they get a pro- bit of propaganda to spit their way or something like what's the general vibe there like I love it there I think the people are warm and great but I mean you know tell um, it from the yeah point. yeah no this is my chance for for all of you uh, some American DJs a lot of uh, 
English DJs are refusing to, to come to play in, in Tel Aviv for those reasons, which I find it... I mean, I respect that. I, don't, I, I won't mention mm-hmm. any names, but uh, there's a lot of like, big DJs who refuse to come to Tel Aviv for that reason. You have to remember that Tel Aviv is mixed, like both Arabs and Jewish people are living together. It's totally unreligious. Like the majority of the c- citizens there are left-wing. Most of them... didn't serve the army they're all like people who want the best for for this country and have like big uh, criticism towards the government so when you're punishing that crowd you're like really not helping to find a solution for that problem regarding deeply if you want to go I'm not going to go deeply into this It, thing, I'd rather but, not uh, but I mean but you know, I'll like, tell you this I'll tell you this which is I think more more interesting uh, regarding the conflict and uh, There's being from like Israel, it's, uh, it's, it's the first thing like uh, anyone will mention to me, you know, they will, the first thing they will talk about is this thing. Like, and I, I, I was born and raised there. I like it there. I, I didn't go to army, not for like really moral reasons. I had some health issues, whatever. I avoided that and some drugs problem. I was like a rough teenager. Never sure. mind. I didn't go to army. I, you know what? I never voted. And my friends give me a hard time on it in Israel. Like, they uh-huh. really say, how can you not vote? I mean, whatever. Like. So for me, like, it, it's a huge, heavy load on my back wherever I go. As if it's part of my... As if I'm, I'm to blame or whatever. And, and that's uh-huh. really... It's a tough one for me. I hate when people, like, talk about it. Well, I mean, it's, it's easy for people to generalize. And uh, I'm not even going to... pretend to compare to your situation because yeah. it's a conflict that's been going on for for it's a lot, so long it's a lot now. like you know there in in during bush time like being american well, was like that's what i was so, getting at like you know, i was touring in this i was touring in europe when bush was in office and it wasn't a good time to admit that you're yeah american and i i have a small accent but when i was younger it was a lot stronger because i grew up in in The northern part of the United States closer to Canada mm-hmm. and at that point honestly a lot of times I would just say I was from Canada because wow. I wouldn't it's not that I was ashamed of being American I just didn't want to get into it yeah. even if uh, it was not an argument just explaining it for five minutes and that's kind of what it's come back to now like this whole shit with yeah. Trump most of most people that I run into that aren't Americans or even Americans Because they know me or if they met me or they take one look at me, they're like, you don't, you know, you're not a Trump supporter, right? <laughs> But the thing is, is there are times where people automatically assume because you're American that like you are a Trump supporter and that's not the case. What, here in Germany or in general? Everywhere in general, you know what I mean? Or like if you're an American, like you might be part of the problem or something, you wow. know? And listen, I mean, all I'm getting at is that First of all, I just, if I go, let's say if I go to France this weekend, I really don't want to discuss it again. Not because it'll be a heated debate or something. I'm just fucking tired of talking about it. You know yeah, what I yeah, mean? Of course. And, um, but yeah, sometimes a lot of people assume that you're a dude that's kind of just uh, fed up with things and you're a racist and you want all these travel bans and whatnot. And that's not the case. And I'm sure when it comes to, you know, like the situation with Israel and stuff like that, some people are definitely diehards that want to cause some trouble and all good. And others just want to have a good time, you know, or somewhere in between. I don't know. But 
it, there's no point in in stereotyping or generalizing it, you know. You know, I'm surprised that like for for most people don't realize that like or expect DJs to be automatically super left wing, super liberal. <laughs> I think it's part of our job. Like we're we're part of like drug culture. We're part yeah, of like counterculture. Except accepting. So that's weird. Thing is, is you'd be surprised. There's some really conservative DJs yeah, out there, yeah, and know. more often than not, it's these people that have been around since, you know, the '80s that are in their 40s or even in, in, into their early 50s. I'm now. dying to mention names of like really horror stories that I heard for some American sure. DJs. It does, but it, you know, I'm just like, how the hell can you possibly support this or feel that way? Not even about presidencies or whatever. You know, I'm like you. You're the people that took way more drugs than most of my friends ever had, or whatever, and yeah. broke into warehouses, and and they're you know more square than my parents would be. It's it's totally, uh, it's totally. crazy, you know. But I guess that's uh, maybe something that comes with getting older. I don't know. I don't have a. I think that's that. Oh, who knows? Anyway, let's get back to talking about music a bit. Another big thing is uh, in your life is hip hop. Um, yeah, <laughs> we going that. I way. mean, it's huge. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. What I mean, basically, I'm trying to just figure out where to start. First of all, the first thing that I can think of off the top of my head is you're a huge Yeezy fan. That's true. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a problem. I actually, I'm, I'm super obsessed with Kanye. I'm obsessed. To the point that I went to therapy in general about a few different problems that I had, not just that involving Kanye West. And no, at some point, at, at some <laughs> point during the session, we were talking about that, and all of a sudden, it became this thing that I'm like talking about a lot with my therapist, and uh, eventually we realized that uh, it is something that I put a bit too much energy. Like when the thing is, whenever he announces a new album. I get crazy. I get crazy. I'm, I'm like all in the blogs. I have a WhatsApp group for like seven diehard fans of Kanye from different parts of the world that we wow. like message each other. Have you seen this? Like hourly. Like if someone That's tweeted. That's insane. Some, yeah. It compensates to the fact that I was never a sports fan. I don't have a team. I'm not following any kind of sport. Yeah. So that's like my sports team. And I'm rooting for the ones that I always say that they're shitty and arrogant, whatever. Kanye is my team. Like for me, the thing that I love most about following hip hop and rap is like the the whole clashing between rappers and all of that. I love it. The beef. Yeah, yeah. I love it. I, I think we don't have enough of this in our culture. If we had more of that, in, in dance, in techno music, in dance music, there's a lot of passive thing. aggression. That's for sure. Um, yeah, but it's not. I mean, we know about some of the stuff, but for the the majority of the people, like that would be nice if, like, I'm I'm really I really want to because I'm such a shitty douchey child. But at some point, <laughs> if I like be really big, like like Dixon status or whatever. I would love to just start a fight with Shit someone. Shit talk people. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's fun. DJ Sneak style? Yeah, but with more tasteful. But okay. yeah, yeah, the, the Sneak thing, when it started, I really liked it. But then it became this, oh, this it's, it's a bit annoying after a while. Yeah. He's one, one of the DJs who refused to play in Israel, always since the 90s. Yeah. I don't know why. Man, I don't know. 
people are going to make their decisions. That's his loss because it's a really good fucking time out there. That's all I'm going to say about that. But, um, I mean, Kanye has come up a few times on the show here. And, I mean, the, the fact is the dude is an interesting character. And uh, hey, stop, stop, that boss. puts it lightly. He's the most influential cultural figure of all time. Now, That's you know? going a little... <laughs> did you, you got out of your system. Are you happy now? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> but, I mean, here's the deal. Like, sure, he's... I would, I would argue right now he's highly influential. Like, one of the most... Of all time, not so much, but... Um, I didn't say of all time. He did. I could rewind of the Of our time. Oh, I thought you said of all time. No, no, no. Come on. Not In yet. this generation, sure. I mean, put it this way. Like, musically, it's not. he's not necessarily my cup of tea, but I can say from a cultural standpoint, he's influenced a lot. Like, if you look at what he's done for fashion, I'm not like a fashionista, but when you... Go, if you Google Yeezy season whatever of mm-hmm. his clothes, and then you go to the mall, like any decent mall, mm-hmm. it's like, holy shit, everything there is yep. kind of a, a direct rip off of his stuff. Totally. Um, the shoes, for example, whether you like them or not, then you see like a lot of budget Adidas versions of these shoes. Totally. And I, when you look at it online, I was like, these the Yeezy shoes, the 350s or whatever, they don't do it for me. But then I was in Ibiza and I saw some guy walking and they're total neck breakers. You see them in person, like, what the fuck are those? Yeah. And it's really interesting because I, I wouldn't, if, if I saw those on a picture, like I did online, I'm like, those look almost like garbage. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then when you see them in person, it's interesting to see why would they, why would they catch your eye? So you know? take that experience and put it towards his music. I try for a lot of people like you first listen to it like I don't know this other tune this like style of rapping this it lyrics yeah. but then you 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 give it a deeper listen and I mean especially the production value I mean you have to first of all admire the fact that it's producing and rapping which is very rare to, yeah. until to this day but let's not elaborate about Kanye because if I start doing that it will be long and exhausting but uh, ah, but the thing is I need to I've, ah, you, I've, you I've, have a thing with it you're like well, no curious? I've given him many I've given him so many chances and I've I've not seen it I've not seen the light as far as the music goes there's some songs I like of his there's some albums that I can definitely say I, f- I feel are better than others and everybody that I've you know, read interviews or talk to about that with Kanye, they talk about like how in the studio, he's such a perfect example of someone that will push you to be like the best producer you can be, or, you know, to go outside your comfort zone and to find new shit that you didn't think you were capable of. Um, I guess, you know, you would read the same shit about the fashion world. And I'm, you know, to me, it's it's really interesting that they would say all this. And, like, from a musical standpoint, I don't get it. Like, Yeezus, I thought, like, I get for hip-hop that it's kind of a big album because a lot of people don't listen to electronic music. But if you listen to a lot of experimental shit since the early 90s, it's not that shocking of an album. But that's say. the thing, you know. You cannot judge it if you compare it to experimental album. Of course, this. Things, but again, it's the fusion of those things. Sure, and I can appreciate that. Nothing you know? sounds like Jesus. I mean, nothing. Uh, I mean, that raw chopping of sa- of samples out of, of not at, at the same BPM or beat. I mean, it, it's crazy. It's a brilliant album, and it's super uh, super daring to do within in, in his position in pop culture to mm-hmm. do that. 
the whole marketing thing around it. I don't know if you saw it. Like the, it was I was in Europe at the time, so I didn't... Uh, it came as a surprise, no release date. It was promoted by a single Super Bowl uh, ad. Really? Which um, replicates a scene from this classic movie. I forgot the name of it. I'm so bad with films. Psycho, I think. Okay. There's a scene there that... You know the movie? You know I know, the movie? yeah, yeah. Never mind, it's not a important, bit. but like something super arty. It came out a day later as a surprise, like a blank CD, CD mm-hmm. album, you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And it's this crazy avant-garde album that samples Merlin Manson next to... It's a, you have... I mean, it's a great yeah, album, yeah. sorry. What can I say? Some people on the show that are second fans are like, what the fuck? Yeah, I was going to ask, like, who talked about Kanye in the show here? Uh, you Why know, and when was it mentioned here? I know me and Ambivalent chatted about him once. It's come up. I've, I've got to say, it's probably come up on the show like four or five times, just because when you're talking about artists and people that are relevant and doing crazy shit or trying to make a change, Kanye is definitely one of those. You know, he's a dude that will bring on, like you said, sample Marilyn Manson or Aphex Twin or work with uh, folk people like Bonavere or you know what I mean. Uh-huh. Like, uh, I like this kind of, uh, as you said, fusion in things. And uh, so I, I respect that. And because techno music, in a lot of ways, is a fusion, a lot of shit, his name just kind of pops up for whatever reason. That's and I think it's, I'm, I'm happy it's easy for other people on the show to identify with that aren't as nerd-obsessed about this shit as we are, that yeah. you know they're not DJs or producers. So, But you make your own hip-hop. Yeah, I did uh, last year. 2016 was crazy for me. I did also a, a rap album in, in Hebrew. Uh, which was all about like the nightlife scene and my life as a DJ it was really personal with really really funny also there's a song there about ketamine and stuff like that and it and it started as a joke I recorded it just for myself and a few friends I never thought that any other person will enjoy or understands half of the, the stuff I said there or talked about but then, like a friend of mine who works at this uh, big music promotion uh, agency, asked if she can use it for like promote it for free. I was like, okay, do whatever. Then uh, a single from that album was uh, premiered at like the biggest news portal in Israel, and it got like ten thousand clicks a day or whatever. And I was accused of, you know, hating women or whatever because I said there, I'll translate it in English, I said that... Well, um, then you've made it in hip-hop, Yeah, Yeah, (laughs) of course, yeah. I mean, and there's rap in Hebrew. I'm not the first one to say, like, offensive, but it wasn't like, it's... No, that doesn't make it all right, yo, Tom. Yeah, yeah, I'm not, yeah... I'm not going to argue whether it was... <laughs> anyway, that happened. Yeah. So, yeah, I was... My mom was, like, really happy. It was really funny. Your mom was happy that you hated on women. Yeah, at the beginning, she was like... <laughs> but then she... Yeah, she. I, I'm, I have to say that my parents are, like, really supportive of what I do, which is really cool. Like, my, you know what? That's a cool thing about my, my dad. My dad can tell the difference between house and techno with his own unique way. You know how? This one time he came to me, he said, I realized how you make tell the difference i was like how he said if i can snap my finger to it it's house and <laughs> that's if you think interesting... about it it's a brilliant perspective that's true you and know it's totally this guy that's true to it i never really thought because of it that way a, but... yeah that's the thing think about it that's a drummer's perspective like a 60 year old drummer 
Yeah, that's a good. Uh, it's a good I'm gonna, one. I'm gonna use that benchmark for down the road. Yeah, yeah you should feel free. Nice. Shout out to my dad, Evavni. Hello. Yeah. Um, but I mean, so the 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 hip hop stuff did did that like become a uh, successful adventure, or was that just a side project? Or the thing is, uh, it's it's a side project. I was never aiming to go any further with it but again I did an album and I actually gave it for for free in Bandcamp and if you want you can donate and a lot of people donate a lot of people heard this album you can find it on YouTube what's, also what's it called just for you cannot find it if you it's only in Hebrew reading because okay. it's, it's in it's under my name the same name that I do like my own name Yotam Avni mm-hmm. so I didn't want people to search my tracks like gotcha. and find rap songs in Hebrew. So write him and bother him for it on Facebook yeah. or whatever if you, if you're curious. Yeah. I you know because I in it, the rapping's all in Hebrew obviously. I I heard a couple of things on Bandcamp and I couldn't understand a word of it. But I mean I can say the production quality on the hip hop is just as comparable to your techno tracks oh, which means you. it's terrible. Yeah. Not just kidding. But uh <laughs> yeah, you know yeah, I, mean, yeah, I didn't do all the I didn't produce the the beats all by myself. I used like a, re, a great guy called the Ori Shochat which is he's like the DJ premier of the Israeli hip hop scene. You can find him on YouTube. He's doing amazing amazing uh, instrumental beats and rap productions in Hebrew. So he helped me. Yeah. It was a great experience to work with him. Nice. And is, are you going to keep So the thing or? is again, um a lot of a lot of people are trying to I mean a lot of people want me to do a concert one time I'll do that. I was supposed to do videos but then like the the international gigs started and I had to do like to focus more on the electronic music so I put that aside for a moment but I think I'll do another album and some shows but I'm not going to aim for like anything commercial with that because the, the market is too little I guess Got you That that's a that's a good way to segue I mean you really starting to pick up on the DJ schedule now like yeah playing quite a lot of places um I mean, tell me as far as going forward, like obviously when things start picking up, you just kind of want to go where you can and get your word out and play and have fun. But I mean, do you have like a certain, like what are the what are the goals or aspirations of Yotam Avenue? Like First do you want to be a festival guy? Do you want to play smaller clubs? Those well, are what's, what's excellent the questions that I have no clue what to answer about them now. Again, listen, trying to break through at this period of time in in our scene is is really not easy. I mean, I had a few offers from a few agencies for a while, and I waited to finish that year last year that I had all those big releases and then I got a request for a paramount artist, which is actually too big of an agency to my position as an artist now, mm-hmm. like I'm like the, the smallest name ever there. And with them, I see that like I had this a lot of discussions about it with my agent that I asked him like these days do we have to like there's an strategy like you you don't play there if you want to aim for that and he was like asking me what what are you aiming for and uh and and I had a hard time to 
to say at this point. So yeah, I'm doing some festivals. Yeah, like the, the, the goal or the dream is to be able to play longer sets and to be known for being not, not a DJ that is not labeled just with just techno or just house or whatever. But I think the scene and the industry is changing and it's, uh, especially at this time, like genres are blurring, like things mm-hmm. are, I think, changing a bit. So I, I don't think we should like still think in the same way that we did so far. And me as a producer and, and the things that I want, I know for sure that I cannot like uh, to calculate my steps in the same way. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It doesn't make sense in a way. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, well, what works for me isn't going to work for you, for example, to calculate the same steps yeah. is, is not a good idea. Or like for whoever is listening... It's a bad idea to go out and copy Yotam's style and expect the same results. I mean, it's it's bad in general on an yeah. artistic level. I think but in general, I just it, don't every, know what's my exact unique identity, if that's fair to say. It's my mm-hmm. first year of like seriously touring. It's the first times I'm doing like the major clubs, like Fabric, both Madrid, now London. And it's the first time I'll do festivals. And the school, I did Trezor did the first time, like, in 2015. Like, did you open for me at Trezor once? Yes, my first That's gig right. at Trezor. And I don't, I don't think we, we met. We did, no, no, no. I, because uh, You're someone like, I'm not sticking around uh, for Zahn. Fuck no, that. No, no, I was there. I was there, but we, we didn't know each other, obviously. But someone played uh, between us. I'm trying, I don't remember who. But, yeah, I heard you play that night. For like an hour. I wasn't at the booth anymore. I was uh, high as fuck. <laughs> yeah. So then I sounded actually good. That is what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, I remember that one of the first time, one of the f- few first conversa- conversations that we had, I remember saying something to you about a set that you had on Trezor, or was it Bergain that was... The recording started with the Kenny Larkin track. Oh, that'd be the snacks uh, thing. Right, right, right. Yeah. Ah, okay, so it's not Rizal, never mind. But I just remember that that's one of the first things that I wrote to you about for some reason, that I liked that you play like the old dark comedy track. Yeah. Um, But I mean, so since then, let's say in in the past year, is there some like really memorable moments now that you're traveling internationally where you're just like, holy shit, this is... uh, this is crazy. Um, not really, because it's not, I had some really good gigs. I mean, I've been doing, you know what? I've been doing this for a long time, like DJing and and producing. And, and now it's coming together and it's great. And I'm like so ready I'm not like you cannot even I cannot imagine like tell me if I'll play even Belga and give me tomorrow closing set like I'll handle it I'm not like you know I, I did I played so much in mm-hmm. so many different <laughs> states of consciousness or whatever like it's not that's not You're the a thing pro. you got the experience yeah but um, there's some clubs that I like. Like the school was really, really good. Have you been to the school yet? In no, they just opened that. Tell, yeah. tell people about it for those who aren't aware. That's a really, really good. I mean, it's the it's guys. The, club, the, the guys who did trial, right? Exactly, yeah. And it's like everything you like about Bergheim, but with Dutch people. Interesting. Yeah. Do they, uh, <laughs> do they charge you a month to go to the bathroom as well? 
Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very Dutch. Uh, no, I mean, like, um, it, it's everybody I've talked to that's played there said it's really great. Um, I think there's a slightly more of a, a house tinged vibe to no, the no 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 it's just again think dutch like they don't have this separation that we think of yeah on, on thursdays they're having their more like rush houry kind of house but i i see that friday and uh, saturdays and fridays are mainly techno i saw the zenker brothers are doing the lane type thing and and the residents are jasper wolf and uh, martin what's his name there like both great techno djs so yeah it's, it's totally i mean the venue the vibe of it, it's super dark it's like a totally techno club i mean totally you cannot okay. avoid that sound system is amazing staff is is brilliant and it, the building itself there's it's a restaurant also great that's restaurant. what i heard and also yeah. i think some artist studios yeah yeah so I guess if you're uh, if you're in Amsterdam doing the whole tourist thing, check it out on the weekends if totally. you can. It's called D School. Yeah. Um, now, when you, I'm just I'm just trying to figure out the best way to phrase this. So you're doing these these gigs, and of course you're kind of trying to channel the sound of records that you're you've become, I guess, famous for. Um, You've had a lot of hits, like the the ones on Intervisions and Rebirth and, and Ovum, mm-hmm. um, and like you said, they're kind of there's a lot of crossover appeal. Like uh, when when you write these tracks, do you have like already a hook in mind or a vibe, or you just kind of go with it and this is what you're feeling? Or it really depends. But um, I do. I mean, those records that you mentioned, I knew intentionally when I made them. Like I want to do a big record. Like I knew, like with Pentimento, I knew it's a big record. With the Ovum thing, with the Ovum thing, you know what? This is the time to say it. Like, Cyril, DJ Deep, is like a good friend of mine and an idol and someone who I admire and love. And I remember that I played him the track when I finished it. And I knew it's going to be a hit. I will never forget Cyril that. And he, 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 he hated it so much. I was like, fuck, maybe it's not that good. And then Ben Clock picked it up, thank God, and it became this huge record. I think, I mean, I, don't get me wrong, I love Ben, but I think that would have been a big track even without Ben. Yeah, but Ben gave it that context that it needed, the acceptance of that wave. Of because oh, it like could, the techno guys, yeah, because it could have been easily like something you know, not easily, but it's almost like a hot creations kind of you know, it has like a low, it's pitch pretty or, funky. It's definitely yeah. what I would refer to as like an Ibiza record in a way, yeah, yeah. And putting Steve there as a remix is also part of like aiming that more towards that, but but yeah, I mean, I, I was hoping it would be big and I'm happy that it was. And I mean, you, you've also done. I would like in the context much more underground sounding records like the stuff on non-series, stroboscopic, my label, for example, which are very textural and just yeah. kind of chugging. I'm I'm trying myself to like figure out what are those different routes of production. I think that the track that I gave you was uh, supposed to be originally for Inner Visions. It's similar to the vibe of the track I had there called the uh, Tikkun on Secret Weapons. So there's that sound, I call it the inner Vinish techno-y sound. For what I do for Lucy, for example, the Lucy thing is, is an interesting 
thing because if you if you hear and follow what I did before Lucy signed me you would never guess or think that Lucy will want to release my music there's nothing that experimental in what I do yeah it's completely it's, different really yeah it's weird and I knew Lucy for for a long time and I had him in Tel Aviv for a few times and I never even send him tracks of mine because I never in my mind I thought that he would want anything from uh, what I was doing and At one point, like uh, when the album when this is how it went big, Lucy played it and whatever and and I remember that uh, he asked me for for tracks and and eventually I don't remember which ones he picked first, but um he liked one track and then told me try to take that vibe and more towards what I'm releasing like a darker soundscape yeah and that's the thing I, I think I even told him like I'm not aiming for doing like dark, I'm a soulful child like I can do techno mm-hmm. but even my techno records are not like not like dark techno records they're like semi swing and funk some high tech soulish stuff a bit yeah. you know whatever So t- never mind. The thing is, when I approach finally the idea of making tracks for Lucy, which is super fun because you get a request from a label that has this like really different vibe of what you do and you totally want if, if you want to, like I wanted to try to go more experimental. And by going experimental, in my sense, I added more like uh, live instrumentations in my track and... It's still not oh sorry, it's still not dark techno, but it's more avant-gardish, like I hope in a jazzy way in terms of tr- the structure of tracks and whatever so anyway with with what I'm doing with Lucy is like almost closing a circle because I started like with really jazz influence and soulfully stuff, and then techno came, and now like bringing those two together, I hope like that what I'm doing for Lucy is like. soulful techno but not in the cheesy sense sure you know I what i mean it. in the most like it's a free jazz kind of of thing and that's the thing i want to explore much deeper like i uh, my debut album as a producer will hopefully be there and will be like from that dna of sound i mean i, I can definitely sense like a sort of you know influence of that free form airy sort of uh mm-hmm. vibe over the top like especially on the last Um, stroboscopic record you know what I mean it's almost it's like the sounds are sitting on top of the tracks but not thrown on top like you know you hear some yeah. records and like oh cool you put an acapella over the top and it doesn't fit yeah, yeah. these seem to fit even though they're clearly just kind of they feel like they're floating on the surface yeah, um, yeah but I mean, I mean it, it's interesting like for example the track that you did for me um I don't think it really actually kicks in until maybe four minutes in or something three or four three, minutes in I think, yeah and it's a six or seven minute track so it's really about halfway through yeah. but I mean like you know there's a certain tension there before it really starts to go all the fucking way and I really think that's something that can only come from a DJ that has had the experience of you said you open with it I think it's more of a late night record personally but uh mm-hmm. You know having that experience and like the patience and the balls to kind of be like we're gonna yeah, really yeah. stretch us out for three minutes and you think it has to do with you know because the obvious thing to compare it to is Carl Craig productions yeah so it's mainly that I think like you, you cannot have like if you listen to the track and you know some of the Carl Craig productions you totally I, I thought about him when I did it I guess yeah 
Sure, but I mean, so, it's no, still... No, but like I'm he, saying that, it, like, Kyle Craig is not, <laughs> is much known as a producer than a DJ. It's not like, he was never a DJ, really, in terms of, like, working a yeah. crowd or whatever. Does the fact that he did those tracks with long intro, kick, kickless tracks in general, totally. do you think it has to do with, with the fact of thinking of, of DJing? No, with him, no. no. No, of course not. You know, uh, there's some of the times, like a lot of these Detroit records, but especially with Carl Craig, they don't make sense in the, in the classic uh, DJ context of like being very formulatic and making it easy for the DJ right. to mix. Right. You know, where it's like it might kick in full blast in 15 seconds, which is on a new techno track these days would be uh, suicide for the track. You yeah. know what I mean? You got yeah, to use that first minute and a half to really ease in your idea. Yeah. Um, you know, whereas in pop music or hip hop these days, I think they say... 90% of all tracks are three and a half minutes and the chorus comes in in the first 45 seconds or right, some crazy... Right. And it's like almost every time. Yeah. Uh, with techno, it's at, at this point in time, it's six minutes. The first two minutes are built up. The middle two minutes is the is yours to do what you want with and the last two minutes is an outro. Um, but these Detroit records, it, it was all over the place because nobody gave a shit and they were just kind of going off of you know, their old influence, whether it was soul, yeah. Motown, whatever, hip-hop, you know. And it's about time that we bring some of it back. I think so. Tribal I mean, vibe. you know, I, I already sense a little bit of, like, a, the tribal vibe coming back. Yeah, we, I think I, I, I talked about this with you. I mean, every guest that I had in my parties in Tel Aviv for the last, like, two or three years, I always say, like, what happened to the tribal sound? Like... It was a big thing early 2000 like the techno that I like when I liked drum code it was you know yeah. those times where somewhere else sessions was like dominating sense totally I the, love that the problem is is that that shit got too out of hand wait I have to bring in an ashtray because I want to light it yeah there's an ashtray on the table out there anyway what I was getting at is that when it comes down to it um uh, Let's say it was 2003 or four, somewhere around there. Mm -hmm. People started just, you know, they were throwing fucking Spanish vocals over the top. Like, there's the term now, cultural appropriation. This was the the zenith of that. I mean, like, just randomly taking any yeah. Latin vocal you can think of and throwing it over a tribal loop and yeah. calling it a day. And really bad tribal loops at that. And I'm guilty of buying a few of those records. But, you know, so that... That era kind of killed itself off, and then of course there was minimal. But it's and been a bit, but it's been like you know, it's it's enough time passed so we can bring some some of the its idea. I'm not saying to imitate. Sure, this the influence. Yeah. But I would I would argue. I mean, like the the Intervisions record you did. Um, this is how, to some extent, there's definitely like this kind of bouncy tribal swing to it. Maybe not full on Congo Bongo bullshit, but you know what I mean. Like a, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, definitely. Yeah, yeah, of course. That's that's for sure. So I, I, I definitely see that coming. And then I was, uh, and then on a previous episode, I had Matrix Man and Satoic Mass, and we were talking about it. And I said, you know, like all these guys that are making the really sad melancholic trancey techno like if they were only to start playing more like detroit melodies and stuff like that it, yeah. would, it would go over big time and i really think that shit will i don't know if that if it's an expect thing but i think it could definitely 
be one of the natural progressions. It wouldn't surprise me if that's what came next. What the whole the, the, the Detroit thing, the minor codes? A little bit of that, yeah. We had that like ten years ago, I think, when like when Craig and like Dennis Ferrer were like. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And Martin Buttrick and all like that. was a time with like the high-tech soul, the transmatic But that was, that was more in the minimal era, you know? Yeah, it's... Uh, you know, or like for even like the early Locodice records and stuff yeah. like that, it would it would take elements of that, definitely on the, the more microscopic scale. But. It's really hard to conduct like a real... I had a track on, uh, on BS1 and Shlomi Amber, Amber's label called Better Days, a B-side for You Are Sleeping. And it's a totally like my me trying to do a Gerald Mitchell track, like it's it's totally me trying to do a Los Hermanos track with all the sounds that 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 I had similar to that, because I I seriously I took like music theory lessons. I mm-hmm. brought this like uh, private uh, teacher that I was playing in all those like Jaguar and Los Hermanos. Like, yeah. What's going on here in terms of code pro- yeah, project? Tell me. Yeah, yeah. So I was really exploring that for a minute, like. Uh, I, like many, many producers, I was supposed to have an EP on Transmat. I had so many tracks <laughs> ready. So all of those tracks eventually got released in different labels. Pentimento was one of them, actually. It was supposed to be on a Transmat EP. That never happened. But it did happen to my friends, Deepa and Biri, who are also from Tel Aviv. That's right, yeah. So, yeah, I'm happy for them. Yeah, I mean, it. I. it seems... Is it, would you say it's because of the weather and everything that like a lot of the music coming out of Tel Aviv is quite warm actually yeah despite yeah, yeah. the political climate and the because war zone it's stuff hot, and shit. man it's yeah. hot. summer in Tel Aviv is brutal humidity is insane we're talking about like 80 percent humidity it's it's really hot it's really hot yeah and uh I mean I you know when we were there I never we never journeyed down everybody talks about like how it's definitely got the beach vibes and going on and everything but I you know I'm last time I was there was on January 1st which isn't the time of year to hit the <laughs> yeah. water but, but it's would my you birthday. say that that is your birthday yeah. uh do you have a good one this year by the way No this year I didn't celebrate my birthday the thing is um my friend Daniel, you met, yep. is one of the guys that I do my Avadon parties with. He opened a new club called Bet Mariv, which is super cool. And unfortunately, it was shut down during that weekend. Because oh, damn. We, we had, they were doing like side trends uh, weekdays there, and there was a police. Uh, what did you say? Police came and like... A raid of, of yeah, sorts. Yeah, yeah, for drugs and shit, so... I, I didn't celebrate my birthday, which was fun. And also, it was 29. And I was like, I'm not going to celebrate 29. And you, I'm going to be 30. Like, let's plan that already. Oh, my 30th was wild. I can't really discuss it on the show. Yeah? But I'll tell you afterwards. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, I mean, so, you know, you've, you've mentioned Deepa and, and Bari. Very, Albert, yeah. Like, yeah. Um, can you, is there other people, like, for those that aren't familiar with, let's sure. say, Tel Aviv, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Let's, big let's, up them? Let's break it down. So, uh, besides Psytrance, we were, for a, mem- for a moment, like, early 2000, there was this uh, dark, progressive sound of uh, Sasha and Digwit, like Sasha and Digwit hurt and ugly. I was like, yeah, let's take that idea and make it totally pale and European. Mm-hmm. So you had that sound where you had a few Israeli producers like i don't know if you know them flesh brothers 
and Moshik were releasing like big records on uh, both Bedrock and uh, Perfecto and Yoshitoshi and all of that. Okay. And then came Mr. Guy Gerber, which is still to this day, I guess, the most successful Israeli producer outside of like the Cytrans scene. Because he had also an album with uh, Puff Daddy and shit like that and whatever. Yeah, he's, he's on the next level of like, yeah. you know, posh music making dudes. Yeah, he's a really cool guy, but I never really liked his music. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, There's a few of them that I, I really enjoyed, you know, but... No, for I, me, I in general, for me, Cocoon is like... I don't want to say that because I would love to release there maybe, but I never, never liked Sven or Cocoon. For me, it was like a crime against techno music. It's really, it's really it's funny to say thing, it man. in Berlin, but seriously, man, what Sven, that, I hate that. The trancy, for me, it's like, I, I don't like it. I don't know. It, it, the Sven is an interesting dude, Sven Vade, because, um, you know, I... Coming from America, he was never really the biggest character out there. It wasn't until Richie kind of started right. bringing him in on the... I forget, it was like 2003 or something on that yeah. CD and whatnot. And then... It was the opposite, I think. Sven took him and not the other way around. Either way, I don't really give a shit right now. All I know is in the States, Sven wasn't as big of a deal as he was in Europe, you know? And uh, so I didn't really grow up with this... Like other people did, really, that like he was... It's a German thing, I think. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But um, anyway, I've, I've seen Sven a number of times, and I've seen him in, you know, I've seen him at Time Warp doing the he's big room thing. He's a great DJ. And I've seen, him, I've seen him doing the After Hours thing. Yeah. And he's not always on point, but when that dude is like in his zone, in the magic... I've seen him build up a set like no other, and he gets like this classic. I believe you. Pulsing after hours type vibe. I um, believe it's, and I totally but, respect him as a DJ. It's just the DNA of his musical saying or whatever. It's not. It's almost like a political thing with me. It's like it represents a part that I just politically disagree with because for a long time because I'm like a super soulfulish house guy I was always into no you guys don't understand that's not the roots of techno that's not real techno whatever it, it really pisses me off when I was you like were a bit teenager. of a purist then. yeah yeah now I'm like thinking about it differently but in, in my teenage years I was like really really like that well that's the thing we're, we're all very particular about shit I mean like I'm into really pure as techno but these days i'm not going to sit here and kind of hold a gun to people's head about it you know what i yeah, mean now like, I, first of, it's I can appreciate no. some some cheesy stuff or or accessible but for the most part uh i just realize also that i'm not it's it sucks when you sit there and assault people's taste whether it's good or not but um you know sometimes it really took me some time to warm up things like honestly i found labels like drum code and the advent and shit like 90s banging techno i found that before i found detroit techno which is surprising because i was near detroit you know um, yeah. and it took me a long time to warm up to it because the detroit techno is very soulful and whatnot and yeah. when you're young and you got all this testosterone you just want shit that's like fucking yeah, yeah, ripping it up you know it's much more demanding music it's more complex it's yeah yeah i totally understand i'm not surprised i know that there must be a lot of american DJs that unnecessarily grew up on the Detroit thing and just discover it later on. 
And the whole debate of like the roots of it and what it's being so long that Europeans are dominating and influencing its culture. So you cannot really use that argue. It's pointless at this point. Which part of the argument? The whole like purist thing of saying, no, that's not the roots of it. Please don't call it techno, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And even Derek May at some point, like 10 years ago said, no, this is high tech soul music. You can call techno, whatever. So that, that whole debate is totally long gone, I think. For the most part, yeah. I mean, I, it's just so silly to me. Like, there's some tracks by, like, let's say, The Field or Matthew Herbert, which are regarded more as more avant-garde dance music artists, mm-hmm. which, in my opinion, are completely techno. You know what I mean? But it's all, like I said a little bit earlier in this episode, it's all perspective. Yeah. Somebody who listens to, let's say, your track on Intervisions might think it's just fucking whatever tech house and others might be like this is techno you know it and they're both right yeah i mean you know there's elements of both in it so um it's funny that we're still like 30 40 years to this to these genres of music you know happening and evolving and we're still like debating its origin it's like why do especially us like djs or purists journalists or whatever we still need to debate those like the the subgenres names the 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 the, the exact identity of it like how long do you think we'll still it's gonna be forever you think like in jazz in rock music at some point do the like Maybe it's just a matter of time. It will be so old and established at one point that it will be pointless I don't know, to try to define it. I well, know. I mean, every every genre has its purists. I mean, even pop music has hardcore purists. Yeah, um, I see what you you're know, saying. And with yeah. jazz, like yeah. they think new jazz, which isn't really a thing anymore, but when that was a thing 15 years ago, they were like, this fucking new jazz is bullshit. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, I mean, when it comes down to it, uh, especially with, let's use techno and house in this regard it's really interesting music to this day and even though the same fucking track has been written a million times over the last 30 years it's still kind of futuristic music and therefore will attract some pretty intelligent people right yeah on on top of all the idiots but these some of these intelligent people are not necessarily the most social some of them got like asperger's and whatnot so those are the people that are going to sit there on facebook or blogs or whatever and big up like the newest cool stamp label or call super or whatever is the hot thing of the moment <laughs> and then never go to a party right you know right. and so those are the guys that are always going to like talk shit even though they have great taste in music but they don't really know like some of these records are amazing but they don't work on the dance floor right, right. then you got the people like us that are out there on the road every weekend or opening up or just going out to party yeah. and we can appreciate you know, a tribal house record or the the newest banging techno record that sounds like every other techno record because we see the effects that it has. We know how the people like it. We can appreciate that it's, you know, the sound quality is better than the last one that came out six months ago. So there's two different perspectives. Yeah, actually, you know, that raises the whole thing regarding, I mean, the fact that there's there are people who are heavily into dance music or even like buy lots of like 12 rich singles and not DJing or not even going to parties and dancing. That's crazy. I mean, that's funny because this music at the at the end of it and from the beginning of it was supposed to be like DJ tool oriented tracks and whatever. And but at some point, you know, I remember I had this, I'm, I'm discussing the whole thing, the whole issue of like the album 
issue like with a lot of people because I've, I've reached a point in my career as a producer that I'm thinking about maybe doing an album what does it mean what should I do am I like if you're doing an album it was it's supposed to be a home listening experience it's like a collection of tracks or whatever and I don't know it's it's an interesting thing like people who like dance music and not dancing to it It's weird. It's bizarre. Yeah, but, you know, jazz music, rock music also started out as, like, club music. I don't know. So maybe that's like that, in a way. Yeah. Well, you, you brought up one thing, and, you know, doing an album, and that's been a very, uh, been a very um, common... It's been what I, it's what I'm thinking about a lot lately. Yeah. So I want to talk about that because you seem to be kind of having the same... Yeah. Uh, questions and existential crisis type <laughs> themes about that as well. Totally. Um, you know, I've already done an album, and if anybody that's heard it, it's literally just like 10 drum tracks and that's it. But that was completely on purpose. I was just like, I'm going to do it this way. It's a big, dumb, clum album, but I want to do it well, and that's that. And I, I mean, I think for the most part I succeeded. Yeah, totally. Uh, but now I want to do a new one. And I actually did start one in October. I got about five, six tracks in. And I think it was pretty good. But then I, I took a step back and I'm like, all right, you know what? This album could be, it's pretty good so far. It would do all right. And I would definitely get a nice little tour out of it, put a little bit of money in my pocket and whatnot. And it'd be a decent follow-up. But for me to like leaving my mark as an artist or a musician hmm. in the future it's not really it was underwhelming you know yeah. what i mean and i didn't really feel it so i scrapped the idea some of it will come out as tracks on records but it's not an album but i mean like when you talk about it you're like well what does it mean what should it be like do you have an idea or like yeah you have those options in front of you i mean well you said it it's the whole album thing regarding our scene and culture it's either a collection of tracks either something super arty except for someone like that's a rare example someone like like Robert Hood can still do an album which is like a collection of DJ friendly tracks but still with one concept with a daring idea that follows all of the tracks that are In, in, in every album that he did so you can also try to aim to gain that <laughs> like that added value of home listening material and still a, a collection of banging tracks that, that could be amazing but uh, regarding myself like uh, the great thing for me now like if again like I said if I'm aiming for releasing it on Lucy's label so it's super obvious that it will be like more experimental and more mm -hmm. friendly for home listening but I also thought about maybe doing like a collection of the, the thing about doing the collection of banging tracks is saying actually like you said it's like using it as a business card or saying that the market is flooded with so many releases on a daily basis let's instead of like releasing a few singles in in long periods of time one from another let's bang the system with like a huge body of work of banging tracks in order for it to you know i don't know get more exposure than just different singles mm -hmm. so yeah i'm thinking maybe i should do both you know maybe for ovum i can do like an album like shlomi amber did whatever collection of banging tracks and then doing something arty and confuse my agent and promoters even more 
That'll be it. Sounds like you got a lot of work ahead of you. Yeah, I always do. But but regarding you, let's say, like, you thought about doing an album which is, like, more home listening, more experimental? More... You know, I... And it's, it's all kind of stuff that I'm still kind of theorizing and developing over time. Yeah, but, but when, you, when, I, you... when I stopped on that and I said this isn't it, first of all, it's the soft, it would be the sophomore album. And I really believe, like, for example... Whatever I I almost feel like the second album is going to be more important than the first one, and maybe I'm just kind of overthinking it too much. But put it this way, like so, if I put out another album that's pretty good, not great, but just it's okay, whatever. I feel like that will set up the precedent for the future. So like when if 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 there is a third or fourth album, people will be like mm-hmm. they kind of be like, well, okay, the last two are all right. Let's see how this is. Now yeah. if you have the second album's better than the first. Not only did you you improve upon yourself, and it's good for everybody, but then you, and you get the hype from that currently, which is nice. But then going forward for the future, they have there's a general excitement for it. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you, you're building up your sound and your but career. But no, you're saying like no matter if it's home listening, experimental, or banging tracks, it just has to be really good and better than what you did previously. It should be what better than what happened previously. And I think it should really expand upon things. But I also, now I've, I've been thinking about it a lot more. I'm doing other projects with other musicians and other genres and looking outside. Here's the thing with techno. Like, I didn't come into this thinking, oh, I'm going to travel the world or release on these big labels or some shit. Like, I, that was all a pipe dream. The fact that it happened was super mm-hmm. surprising. So basically, everything that I've ever set out to do, I've accomplished but then again, I didn't really have any goals to begin with. Yeah. So it's just like, what could I do now? Like, sure, I could play a couple more credible venues. I could make more money. Um, you know, you work your way up. You can get a big club night in London or Ibiza or whatever. Those are all great things. I'm not discounting that. But they're not really goals for me. I could give a shit less about that. They're not challenging artistically, I think, the way you describe well, it. Well, I mean, it, it would satisfy my ego and my wallet. And hey, both of those things, yeah. are, that's great too. I could use a little bit of, in both of those pockets sure. right now. But the thing is, is it's like, as a musician, and I really look up to like other bands and, uh, you know, artists mm-hmm. even. And I'm just like, well, when I die, and I don't know what people are going to look at Wikipedia pages or something, but I would like to at least have a little bit more going. Yeah. And so therefore, I think about like, the future of a techno album and every techno album these days is usually 10 to 12 tracks you got three or four drone tracks two or three banging club hits that people will play and then the tracks that everybody forgets about now even the tracks that are more experimental or droney they're still in this structure that all techno artists write in which is this very hypnotic loopy groovy thing they don't go in the context of like verse chorus verse chorus so I'm thinking, like, okay, I get it. Jeff Mills wants to write a album about a fucking spaceship that travels around the solar system, whatever. That's great. Yeah. But it, to me, it sounds like a lot of spaceship noises that came from the last albums. I mean, that re- that puts it really crudely. I respect it more than that. But it's like, so a lot of people kind of take this inspiration from that. And I'm thinking, well, what, what happened to... Uh, incorporating more traditional structures like pop music or something like Super Collider that was mm. Christian Vogel and Jamie Liddell that Ooh, was a techno yeah. album but they put a pop context to it and I'm not saying everything needs to be pop but 
techno albums are so predictable and nobody's really breaking the mold or being like, let's fucking throw some funk into it or, you know what I mean? Yeah. No, I'm actually... And that's what I'm looking at. It's in- interesting, first of all, that when you think about what... Like you're saying, I'm, I'm looking for an added value to my production to challenge myself artistically and musically. And you're questioning it because we, we're saying like, should we label our product and music the same way bands do? You know, you, you said it yourself. Like, it's almost like, um, it's like almost talking to your parents about it. Like my parents w- would be like, this music that you release, like how, what's the form of it? Why vinyl records? Why like only four tracks? All these like really interesting questions that we take, you know, for granted because we know how the industry is, you know. Yeah. So that's interesting. And, and I didn't know or realize that like if you want to have this added value in your productions and what you do specifically, you're aiming for more like pop structured tracks. Like that's interesting. Well, I, I don't necessarily know that that, I would go towards a pop route per se, but I'm just using that as an example. Yeah. Or like, you know, you take some of these uh, classic tracks, even like Pink Floyd or something that can be quite long. Mm-hmm. And let's say there's like this really, you know, two minute breakdown in the middle where it's like uh, there's almost like the guys doing acapella and there's the guitar mm-hmm. feedback and like some really epic saga shit. You're not going to see that in techno even on an album for the most part, because people are really afraid to write a track like that because in the potential that somebody would play it on the dance floor, you could lose the dance floor if it gets real deep. Yeah. Which is interesting because if you go to a concert, it doesn't matter if it's like hip-hop, rock, jazz, you name it, there's like you can have like the slow song, the ballad or whatever, like that's really right. intimate. We have drones instead. Yeah, well, and, 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 and in dance music, it's like you got to keep that fucking energy going on the whole time or like a, a breakdown, but that's yeah. it's got to build the energy up, and it's like I'm I'm really curious to see someone that would really break it down to this fucking trippy two minute. Uh, you know, Speedy J used to do that back in the day, like right. in the early two thousands, the two minute show stopping yeah, yeah, yeah. breakdown album on Novamute. Which yeah. was brilliant. I forgot it. Yeah, a few good albums there, but one that is like Shocking totally Hobby and Loud Boxer Shocking and shit. Shocking Hobby. Wow. You know, these are tracks that like it would. They they were kind of sagas. These tracks and like I miss that in 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 right and and in a dance music album, I think that's the place to showcase that shit, and that's kind of where I want to go next. You know what? I totally forgot that Speedy J had some really brilliant studio albums. I totally forgot about. He's one that. of the best. He's one of the legends. Right. It's understandable that people forget because he doesn't fucking put anything out anymore, no, and he's one no. of the best in the game. You know, right. I mean, I don't think that he's done a single since Trails, which is five or six years old right. now. I could be wrong. Somebody will quote me on it. I'm sure if 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 I am. But uh, I also met uh, Daniel Miller was in Tel Aviv like two weeks ago, and he told me that he's uh, relaunching Novamute. I, I heard about that. Yeah, talents, so. I heard I've heard about a couple people already that who was big there, like besides Richie and Speedy. Like who, who I mean, was they did a, there was a lot of stuff that uh, you know Mute Nova Mute were responsible for back in the day. No, but like an artist that they nurtured for a while and had like a few albums there, whatever. Besides Richie and Speedy, I mean, Not off the much. top of my head, there's. Wasn't Depeche Mode on there for a bit? Yeah, on mute, obviously, yeah. of course. Nova Mutes, um, I think... He, Probably Moby and stuff. Yeah, I th- I, I want to say maybe Terrence Fixmer and things along that vibe. Um, Nitzer, yeah. Nitzer Ebb. 
I got to look off the top of my head. I mean, this is one of those things where there's like at least five or six classic legendary acts, but yeah. off the top of my head, I can't, I can't dole it out right now. I had an, my ex girlfriend used to work as uh, in this really big uh, uh, alternative music uh, shop for many years in Tel Aviv. And she was like a new wave girl that was heavy, heavy into new wave stuff, a bit into techno and Speedy. She had all of Speedy J's album on Nova Mute for some reason. And I think I stole everything from her. So till this day, she doesn't know, but never mind. Mm. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Speedy J is an interesting dude because his early stuff is really floaty, trancy, happy. And, of course, you got, like, something for your mind and tracks that are really ravey and yeah. Rotterdam style. And then, um, I I don't know, I haven't gone through the discography in a while, but I feel like maybe Panic, is that what it was called? Well, that was one of the first records on Plus 8 where it started to get really... Mm. heavy and distorted and like okay this was the speedy j of let's say 97 or 98 until but was it under the name speedy j or under uh, it wasn't yoke pop it wasn't electric oh. deluxe yet it was like a record or two before that and then electric deluxe came and that track was it still is legendary and it's funny i forget who did it but somebody was reviewing it and they said it sounds like someone shaking a paint can for six minutes, a spray paint can, and it's totally true. But it's fucking awesome, and it's uh, true. That's funny. It's you know these days you can play that record in front of kids and they'll go nuts because yeah. they haven't heard it before. I've heard it a million times, right. but um, you know it's, it has that effect. And unfortunately, he hasn't done much. I think since the the album with it Chris doesn't Lugan. need to. It doesn't need to, but. As a music fan, I would love to hear. Yeah, yeah, some I totally music. forgot that. Like, you made me wanna really listen to some of his mm-hmm. early albums. Like, he did really good home listening albums. Definitely. I mean, a shocking hobby is definitely one of my favorite albums from being a, a teenager. I still love this album. I totally forgot about it. I'm totally gonna hear it tonight on YouTube. Jesus, yeah. play it now if you're listening. It's yeah, great album. pause the podcast. Come totally. back. I mean, we're just talking shit anyway. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so I don't even remember how we got off on that tangent. Oh yeah, albums and stuff like that. Let me ask you this yeah. regarding like added value to production, production in general, and aiming for better or more adventurous, whatever. Like you know, challenging yourself as a producer. Let me ask you this a question that I like to ask people that produce music. And I don't necessarily want to know what's your favorite track that you produced. It doesn't matter. Don't mm-hmm. don't say that if you don't want to. But Try to think about the, your favorite track of yours and why is it your favorite? Well, I I can tell you right now I don't have a favorite track of mine. I've just done too many and I, there's a lot I like for different mm-hmm. reasons. It's like having to pick a favorite child. I know. Uh, but I can tell you exactly right now going forward why I could choose like my why my next record or the record after that would be my favorite tracks or why I would choose those tracks for that record. And right now, it's because uh, more than ever, I'm trying to channel the idea that like I'm totally into the feeling of it. Like when you're making that track, like you, there's no doubt in your mind. You're like you don't care if that record comes out and fails or not. Like it's something you want to be associated to your name. You so know what? what I'm saying? What's the thing exactly that that this? Track I think it's just a certain vibe because you know, like for example, uh, one of my next records, if it comes out the way that I imagine right now, will be like. 
a very stripped down. I don't want to say minimal, like people think minus or something, but as in like a a bit more abstract, like not peak time, more like either warming up the rumor or clearing it out. And, uh, but those things like uh, they definitely, those sounds resonate with me right now. And, uh, there's the whole cheesy musician thing like playing something from the heart or or you know like really putting yourself into it and like for me those tracks were were it and i would choose that and the the record has more meaning then as opposed to i mean i have four or five tracks on here that are cool banging tracks that i could put together in one or two records and i think it would sell all right mm-hmm. but I don't have that connection with the record, and I'm so not even it's, uh, capturing the vibe sense. There was yeah. a vibe in the session that the track captured, and that's totally okay. And it, it could be like one track is uh, quite stripped out. I I don't even know. I'm not going to say it on the show, but I might have sent it to you before because uh, it's it's really chilled out. But then there's another one where it's kind of like this old school ravey banging ass loop mm-hmm. that. It's five minutes long, and the only thing that happens is sometimes the clap or the hi-hat stops. But for the most part, I could just as easily put that out, even though it's underproduced, yeah. and put it out as is. I wouldn't care. I'd be happy with that. Yeah. So there's not necessarily a specific vibe or a sound, but uh, doing it from the heart, as cheesy as that sounds, uh, I, I'm, I'm more in tune with that. Whereas before, I'd just be like, well, I don't know. It sounds good enough to me, and I know somebody will like it. That was good yeah. enough in the past. What about you? With me, it's like... Um, for me, it's easier to figure out like what I would like to do if I'll, I'll try to do something that is not, that, not necessarily just serves the purpose of dance floor music. I mean, for me, my aim was, since, since I was first brought up into this music, was mixing like avant-garde free jazz with electronic music. I, I was always fascinated. I mean, in general, the whole fusion of jazz and electronic music doesn't really, never like really, I mean, specifically the electroacoustic combination of those two genres never really made a good point. If you take like acid jazz or all of that, that wasn't that brilliant for the most part of it, looking back now. I mean, you had some good four hero albums and the trip hop thing was okay, but it's not that. I mean, and I don't understand why there was never a great album that fuses like electronic music and live jazz in- instrumentations. Like, why? You know, I don't think there's a lot of jazz artists that really got dialed into that world. Yet. Uh, yet, yeah. Well, I mean, actually, the other part is, is a lot of the legendary classic jazz dudes have kind of died off. There's some amazing jazz musicians out there that are alive right now, even younger ones. Mm-hmm. I can't yeah, quote yeah. you on it because I don't keep up as much, but I know they exist. I do. Um, but, for example, there, there's some people that I'm dealing with and working with alongside right now that are not, they don't really have anything to do with the techno world. And then you start playing them shit like legendary techno tracks and then they hear it for the first time and their eyes light up and they have no interest in techno They're like what the fuck is this you know what mm-hmm. i mean like imagine hearing some of your all-time favorite tracks for your first time and you're sitting at a friend's house having a drink or smoking a joint and you're like yeah i've never heard tracks like this before i mean that doesn't happen i'm guessing definitely doesn't happen to me anymore because i've just been around too yeah, long of course but imagine hearing your all-time favorite shit for the first time and these guys are just now being exposed to it 
and they're you know some are 35 40 years old uh that's yeah it's not a matter of age you can be even sorry young younger than that but still not exposed to that shit well i'm just saying like it it takes that long so some of these people would normally be open to it but they just never been properly exposed i'm not not blaming i'm not blaming the jazz musicians i'm blaming like the scene like how come no one even like the detroit guys did like great jazz influenced electronic pieces but and Jeff did the orchestra thing or whatever and there was this huge wave of like Giles Peterson's subgenres industries you know that Giles was the one responsible for the term acid jazz which is by the way the coolest genre name ever but with the lamest music yeah, ever exactly. <laughs> I know ever, it's such man. a disappointment I remember when I was like I remember I was super young when I went to this, this CD shop and I saw the term acid jazz. I'll never forget that moment. I saw that term. I was like, I don't know how this music sounds like, but it's got to be super good. I was like, I got to hear it. Yeah, yeah, totally. And then you, you played it like those elevator music sounding stuff. That mm-hmm. was so disappointing. But I got to I like the first, the early mushroom jazz stuff from Mark Farina. Oh, that's... I mean, different. it got pretty pretty tacky as time went on but fuck man some of those early ones were great but you know why they were great not because of the tracks because Mark Farina is a kick-ass DJ and that's it's true if you hear those tracks in in separate separately like they don't work it's Mark Farina it's just a kick-ass well he's a pretty chill dude I I mean I'm not friends with him by any means but I've chatted with him a couple times just when he's come through town and like really low-key and yeah pretty rad you know what should it be like does he have like was he ever out of the states with a career like in Europe? Is a well known name. No clue, I don't to be think he's that known name. Yeah, maybe outside it, of the U.S. It's like Garth and Doc Martin, all of the West Coast DJs that don't have. Yeah, there name. it was definitely like a a U.S. vibe. But then again, I mean, I don't really follow the the house scene in Europe. I mean, even right now, like uh, I know, I find that I know more about house than some of the t- house guys, which is ridiculous because in reality, I know nothing. About house music. About today's like. No, I would say more in the past because I would say right now I think house music today is fucking horrible. It's really high. To, you know what? I was I was I was really a huge house head. Like you can you cannot say you cannot say it else about me. But uh, nowadays I I don't know. Like if you ask me what's happening, what is how like what Intervision is releasing? That's like, but. That's not none of it is house. It all claims it's to be not house. house. Yeah. Like you know, I mean, there's definitely house labels out there. Like I, I buy house records once in a great while. Don't get me wrong; it's not that it's all gone, but it, there's just so it's all so few and far between. And I don't know. Yeah, interesting times for house, but uh, who knows? Maybe there will be a renaissance. Like you know, because I I like the old stuff like Merc and all that kind of. These days, you're not seeing even knockoff records coming out in that style. Or if they are, I'm not, you know, being Mm, alerted to them. But uh, it's time to revival that. That's part of the whole tribal thing we discussed. I think. uh, I think. Yeah, maybe it's time to bring that Tenaglia vibe a bit. Definitely. To make like finally to have a straight version of it, not like to make it super gay. So that'll be. I loved it. Like that New York house sound. It was really big in Tel Aviv. You know, Tel Mm -hmm. Aviv is like had always had a super big gay community, and Tel Aviv is like a huge, huge destination for like gay tourists because we have a huge uh, gay parade. 
So that sounds like Peter Offer and all of that. Mm-hmm. Man, that's like part of like Tel Aviv scene for many, many years. It's huge. It's huge in Tel Aviv. Nice. Um, I'm looking at the clock here. We're, we're almost at two hours. Oh, wow. Great. I didn't think uh, Time managed. flies, wow. right? Yeah. Um, and that usually means people tune out in the first 20 minutes. So we're an hour and 40 minutes into their <laughs> sleep time. So we'll wrap it up shortly here, but... Uh, at the end of the show, I like to kind of do all the plugs and shit. So uh, mm-hmm. let's talk about, what, do you got any dates coming up? Let's see. This will probably come out uh, in a week or two from, from right now. Um, yeah, like um, in April, I'll be in Fabric, London with Denson Pika. And a week after that in Barcelona at Input, I think it's called, with Scuba. And in terms of releases, I don't have enough things coming out, which is totally like stressed me out because last year I was like, every month I was like, fuck yeah, he's a banger. Fuck yeah, he's a banger. Yeah. And all of a sudden... Now like, you're on the road too much, man. Yeah. And now it's, it, I'm super cautious with releases. Like, no, maybe I shouldn't release that, whatever. So in terms of releases, the only thing that is coming out soon is by the end of March or beginning of April, uh, Cats and Dogs did... Uh, mix album for Watergate and I have an exclusive track with them on that so from Lucy's label to Watergate in 12 steps and that's me Yotam Avni so it's a track called Black Cat coming out uh, beginning of April it's a really cool track actually you would like it send it over I will um, yeah I, mean, I remember when you did that other Cats and Dogs remix yeah, that also uh, last year. Dude, I, how did that do? I mean, that was a little bit more... It's it's techno-y, like all your stuff, but I felt like maybe a bit more on the housey side because it's literally like a yeah. just a chugging groove in an acapella, but I really liked it. It's you know? uh, First of all, it's similar to what I did with the Ovum thing, with This Is How, and also, you know, when Marcel did the Bad Kingdom remix, all of a sudden it, it was all right to have a, like, a, mm-hmm. a long-ass vocal... On top of like uh, a something chugging, yeah. yeah. So thanks, Marcel. Like I think that helped me do that. And there's like there's like a breakdown there, which is going deeper, a bit more inner visiony, and mm-hmm. so it's that's me. That's what I'm trying to do. Bits and pieces of all those influences, I guess. Perfect. Uh, any remixes or anything or recent stuff that came out? Uh, there's things that I finished that I don't know when are they going to be released. I did a remix for Deepa and Biri in an EP that they're releasing on uh, Darko Essel's label. I don't remember which one of them he has two. I did that. A non-series, fuck. Yeah, I did some. I finished an EP for non-series. That should come out soon, which is cool. Perfect. Yeah. What about podcasts? Podcasts. Uh, I have a Tsugi podcast that is coming out, I think, next month, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, Francois X had the one before me, so I'm next. Which podcast? Tsugi. It's a French oh, magazine. Yeah. yeah, so I did that. Okay. And if anybody's curious about stuff that's now, they can go to SoundCloud or Facebook or whatever and probably yeah. take something up. Totally. All right. Anything else you want to say on your end? Um, come to Tel Aviv, guys. Like, uh, as Dustin could say, like it's really happening. It's really I cool can't there. recommend it enough. Um, that's right. Those are my chairs. Uh, <laughs> warm people, 
warm weather, good food. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's it's really an interesting, crazy place, and it's if you can get to Central Europe, it's it's actually quite affordable. I think maybe the prices went up recently, but it it's affordable. It's not that long a flight, like uh, from Berlin, three from four here, hours, it's like you think? three and a half hours. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of people come to Berlin for techno tourism. I can tell you in Berlin during the week, there isn't shit to do. Yeah. It's worth going to, you know, spending two, three hundred bucks and, and going to Tel Aviv for a minute. Totally. Do that. Totally come. We need your money. Yeah. Well, of course. <laughs> um, on my end, let's see what's coming up. Uh, I have Liverpool uh, coming up in the end of March, as well as uh, Lyon, France. Uh, and then let's see, can't remember quite real well off the top of that. I think I'm back in, uh, I'm going back to Tokyo in April and, uh, that's all I remember for dates. So check out the rest. Uh, there's a new EP out from ambivalent on my label called drag with a remix for myself. Yay. Uh, it's fucking rad. Uh, I had to say that cause it's mine <laughs> and there's a remix from Omatic on there. Uh, aside from that, there's nothing new on my end, but I promise there's a bunch coming soon. And uh, along with some podcasts, so stay tuned. Got anything else you got to say, man? Free Palestine? I'm not <laughs> joking. Right. Thank you for having me, Dustin. Yeah, thank you for coming in. I'm glad we could finally do it. Totally. Have a good one.